0: I, it just, it, I, it, I was like, ah, uh, that doesn't sound right. Like my inner shoulder went, ah, uh, ah, uh, uh. <laughs> but, but I don't know, it's been so long since I've heard. You're in my chair. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Offerzen, a South African recruitment startup for developers. Offerzen inverts the normal recruitment process. Instead of applying for jobs, 350 tech companies in Cape Town, Johannesburg, and Pretoria send developers interview requests with upfront salary info. For developers, it's completely free to sign up and use. In fact, you get 5,000 Rand if you take a job through them. Visit OfferZen.com to sign up. That's O F F E R Z E N.com. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode seventy of the ZA Dev Chat podcast tonight on the panel. I'm joined by Chantal. Hello. And our guests tonight are Grant Ongers. Hey guys. And Mike Davis. Hi there. So Grant and Mike's from B-Sides in Cape Town. A local InfoSec uh, conference is happening there at the end of the year, and it's ran a few years. And and that's the main topic for tonight's show. But before we get in there, I think we should just take a moment that you guys get to tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, where you came from, how you got into technology, and and kind of set the path towards uh, InfoSec. Uh, Grant, if we start with you.
1: Hi. Yeah. Okay. Um, So I got involved in computing because computers were interesting and they were new. And my parents thought it was a good idea for me to get a computer at a young age. So I did. And um, then I discovered the world of bullet board systems, and they're awesome. They have lots of really cool, interesting things on them. The downside with bullet board systems is that you had to dial into them, and most of the good things were not here in South Africa, which meant that I probably got one or two hidings for uh, running up my parents' Telcom account, which is also where I got into hacking, because um, then you discovered that you don't actually have to run up your own account if you want to dial into bullet board systems there are other ways of getting that access so probably the very first uh way of me getting into into computing was the way that i also ended up getting involved in 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 computer security and information security
0: those were the days corrective like i'm digging into that's kind of when i started with computers and i watched hackers and i wanted to do the same thing but there was this thing that you could dial like another system that would dial you and give it instructions to dial out, and it would dial you back, and and you can do this kind of dance to to get to different BBSs or or get free local internet. It's one way to do it as well. Yeah, exactly. They're, I mean,
1: it's all for the with the block with the blue boxes and with the tones, but um, it definitely ended up. There were cheaper ways of doing it, easier ways of doing it in telecom systems, which allowed you to dial into systems that would in turn dial out. Um, usually, those were owned by corporate
0: environments. Um, <coughs>
1: They were never particularly happy about you using them but they
0: also were very poor at protecting them yeah i never i like i tried it but i could never get it to work <laughs> unfortunately now i remember Anarchist cookbook and captain crunch whistles and good old days yeah he's captain crunch is still around he's uh he's a funny old guy ah i'd like to hear more about him later
2: <laughs> and uh mike um, so very similar to, to grant, um, uh, except I think I um I almost got my modems taken away for doing naughty things as well when I was a child. Um, but uh I started running BBSs, that's how I sort of got into um, you know, doing all these kind of things. Um and then I started building firewalls for people and um and writing software around firewalls. Um and then went from there to um, more recently, met Grant and them at Xerox uh, Coffees that are every um, what the second Saturday of every month, um, and they got me involved in B sides, just um, quite been quite a bit of fun. Also, try and go to um, and uh, B sides in Las Vegas every year, and uh, that's a whole different story. I think that's part of what uh, what Grant's going to talk about today.
1: Yeah, hacker summer camp.
0: Yeah, well, please tell us a bit about it, because, I mean, it was from, we'll get to the rite of passage. No, no, I'm curious about that. But uh, it was clear that that B-Sides is affiliated with the International Conference. So what's kind of the link? Well, so
1: B-Sides kind of started in in Vegas when um, a bunch of people, primarily around uh, Jack Daniel, um, decided that there were so many great speakers that were either speaking at DEFCON or speaking at, at uh, Black Hat, which happened the same week. Um, and so many, so many great speakers and so many great talks that couldn't get accepted for those two conferences because there were just too many people coming up with great great content. And they decided to create the security B side. So like on a record player, you, know, you have the A the tracks, which are all on the A side. On the B side, you have the guys who are, you know, the songs that are worth, worth having on, a, on an album, but not the primary songs. So that's where security B sides come from, and I think Jack started this in a in a hotel room, and eventually it went on to become an actual conference where he would actually book out space to ensure that there was enough space for it. And now there is a B sides in pretty much every part, every major city in the world. Every city that has a large enough IT co- crowd will have a B sides involvement. Cape Town is probably one of the smaller ones, but you know there there is one everywhere.
3: So how did it start in Cape Town? Um... Why Cape Town and not Joburg, for example?
1: Uh, that
2: predates my involvement with B sites But Mike, do you actually know the history of the original ones? Um, the, in Cape Town. Um, I mean, Zedecon Z-A, was the um, was actually in Joburg. Um, I think there were only five of them. But uh, that's kind of where that was my first security conference in South Africa. Um, and that was in twenty. Uh, I think it was 2011 or so that I went to Zeticon uh, Four, I think, and then um, and the very next uh, there was Zeticon Five, and then there was B sides, and I believe that was started by Eastman. Am I correct, Rand? Uh
1: Well, B sides, the well, B sides 2011 was actually Peter Blau and another Barry uh, Barry Owen, Professor Barry Owen at uh, Rhodes University, gave the keynote um, at the first the very first B sides. But I think Peter Blau was the guy who actually got it kicked off the ground here. And then after that, Istvan got involved. And Istvan ran it until he handed over the reins to me because he was leaving the country. And Istvan's now involved in B-Sides San Francisco.
0: And does B-Sides, is it all just organic? Or or do they kind of, do they help and and support and and give like kind of format? Or is it really just the B-Sides of the different communities?
1: Well, it's really the B-Sides of each of the communities. I mean, we can run B-Sides any way that we choose to run it. Uh, But B-Sides Las Vegas... Does provide a lot of support in the form of, you know, this is, this is what we've done previously. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. Um, here's some, some pro forma ways of dealing with particular types of, of instances. Um, these are how you set up a call for papers. This is how you do a, a completely anonymous vetting of those papers. They give us a lot of really good, really good feedback, really good information that we can make use of, which they've all open source and they made the community as a large. And they don't, they don't really mind anybody starting up with B-sides in any part of the world. And if you want to be affiliated with them, that's fine, just as long as you, you, know, you abide by certain rules that they have. And those rules are it's information security-based. Um, conferences need to be community-driven conferences rather than vendor-driven conferences. Uh, but other than that, they give you a lot, of, a lot of freedom to do what it is you feel works best in your environment. Because every, every country, every city has their own culture. B-Sides in those countries and those cities reflects the culture of the cities.
0: Now, that's awesome to hear. Tell us a little bit about the, the Rite of Passage program that you guys are launching this year. When I had a, a quick look on the blog, and that's kind of what set up the school, it sounded fantastic. Yeah, so,
1: so that's actually a great example of how B-Sides Las Vegas is going to be helping B-Sides Cape Town out. Um, uh, we've actually decided that because we want to get more young people involved in information security, uh, Cape Town is a huge developer environment. We, I mean, Mike and I are both work as developers in our real jobs, our real lives. Um, but we're trying to get more people involved, more developers involved, and more people in Cape Town involved in actual information security. And the best way to target people to get them involved in the community is to get them when they're young, just like Mike and I got hooked when we were young. So we're actually reaching out to uh, to students who are unable to go and visit these wonderful things in America called Defcon and B-Sides Las Vegas and Black Hat. And we're going to help them get across there. So B-Sides is going to sponsor tickets, make sure that this individual has some support from the community and gets them across to Vegas for B-Sides and for um, Defcon, make sure they get to experience those conferences. Defcon, where there is 25,000 hackers in one space in one town at one time it's it's incredible it's truly amazing the experience is like nothing ever nothing else i've ever experienced uh, michael built definitely attests to that he goes back every year um and he pays for it himself so this is uh, how most of us get across there whereas that <coughs> was right to passage will be able to take somebody who hasn't had that experience yet give them that experience and also get them involved with the local b-sides Conference and with all the work that happens before the conference runs during the course of the year, B sides Las Vegas is actually uh, going to offer the accommodation for that individual while they're in Las Vegas for the entire week that they're there. So that's kind of cool. B sides Las Vegas is large enough to have a hotel which is reserved has reserved blocks for them because the conference runs in the hotel, and so they're able to offer this room as a you know, as a sort of added benefit for that individual. So we'd have to find the funding for that.
0: Okay, so Dev, well, B sites and Cons helping with the tickets and accommodation. So how, I, the support going to to get the the lucky winner um, across there? Because I mean, it's it's quite a, still still a, quite a chunk of money. It's it is a chunk of money.
1: Um, and we've got we've got a couple of approaches there. Uh, the first is we have a we have a bunch of really great community sponsors, uh, people who are uh, either have companies that work in the information security space or who individually work in the information security space and, and you know, make a, a reasonable living. And individuals are sponsoring money, and you can do that as part of your, your ticket purchases for B-Sides K-Town this year. So you can actually add an additional donation, that donation puts you in the running for something, and that donation goes towards buying tickets to get that, that individual across. Um, in addition to that, we in previous years, badges went to the first X number of individuals who bought tickets for B sides? Uh, this year we're doing it slightly differently. We're releasing the badges in batches, and we're making those badges come with a uh, mandatory donation towards the right of passage. <coughs> so, if you're wanting to get a, uh, an electronic badge for B sides this year, you'll be paying hundred grand for that, and that hundred grand is going towards the towards the fund to actually get somebody across to to Las Vegas.
0: So it's like a rag magazine.
1: <laughs> Something like that.
0: And, uh, but if 100% of the proceeds of the badges go, there's, I guess there's a sponsor behind the badges as well, then. There is,
1: we've we've been really lucky. Um, uh, Mike mentioned Oaks Coffee and Oaks Coffee Cape Town was actually started by Ricardo, And Ricardo's company is sponsoring the badges and has sponsored the badges for the last couple of years for these sites. And when Mike gets to talking about badges a little bit later, uh, I'm sure he'll, he'll describe how the badge plan for the next three or four years is really laid out in advance. We've got a pretty good idea of what it is we want to do with them, and so my Monero, which is Carlos' uh, company, will be will actually be sponsoring those for the next couple of years. So the badges are completely sponsored, and even if it, they weren't sponsored, a hundred rand isn't going to buy you a lot of electronic badge. Believe me, the hundred rand is definitely just a donation going towards the towards the rite of passage.
0: I oh, no, that's great. How many conference goers um, do you guys cater for uh, in the past and, and this year? Like, is it growing steadily, or if you kind of reach a nice size that you want to keep it at? Um, we probably fill up the space that we're, we're currently using. Um, so,
1: we're like, again, one of our sponsors is, is providing us with a location. Uh, the location seats about 250 people in the main hall, and then we generally have a couple of workshops where, uh, where hackers will will hang out. And uh, we've steadily seeing an increase from, I think, 160 the first year that I was involved through to last year where we were 245. Um, and this year we we're hoping to, to break 300 hackers who get into a single space at a single time. Because that's nowhere near the 25,000 that DevCon has, but, you know,
0: Kate Jones is small the town. Yeah, that kind of what will be my next question. Is, is is that representative of the growth of the community um at large, I mean, I've got no idea what the the size of the local InfoSec community is.
1: Uh, that's actually a very good question because there there are a lot of people who go to go to uh, b sides that wouldn't necessarily consider themselves to be hackers, be part of the community. Although they are part of the community, they're all involved in information security in some way. Other than Ox Coffee and and b sides, I don't know of any real formalized get together of hackers in Cape Town. We you know we tend to. We tend to do what we do, but not very publicly, and not involving a lot of people. And if it is, it tends to be people we've met online. Uh, so ZA Tech, the the chat channel, uh, definitely we get a lot of we get
0: a lot of chats going on in there. But not everybody who's in those channels shows up to to the meetings. And and along those same lines, um, it's definitely obvious for you guys, I'm sure. <laughs> but why? Is it important that that people take note um, of infosec? Uh, well, I guess two parts: like as a sector, and as you know, a network of professionals that they can reach out to, and and as a skill that that they should um, either learn themselves um, or just get somebody in their team to to scale up a little bit with with some of the ideas around this stuff. It's actually a very good question. Um,
1: I, I guess I guess the reason that that I think people should get involved in information
0: security is because.
1: Everything we do is online now. Every every aspect of our lives is in some way connected to the internet, and that's great because there's a whole bunch of really great, um, you know, ease of use, uh, really good reasons to connect everything online. But at the same time, it's relatively easy to lose control of those components that be that be put online. And it's important for me as a developer that the things that I do things that i write the code that i write that i think about how it could be abused how it could be broken how it could be manipulated and turned against what what i intended to do um so i think definitely developers and cape town as i said has a fairly large population of developers should really be involved in information security but i think that everybody needs to be aware of what's going on out there we all need to be aware of what it is we need to, to do to protect ourselves online and you know when, when your fridge is online and participating in a a ddos against some other infrastructure that's that's not a great situation to be in and that's not just the developer's fault that's your fault for buying the fridge that goes online and not filing it off or understanding how that should be protected better so i think everybody my mother included needs to understand how information security works at least to the level that they need to to know it. but definitely we as a community of information security or information practitioners people in it we need to be aware of how do we secure the things we build and how do we ensure that we build things securely, which are two very different things.
3: I think that just ties in with an article I read today on um, a website called HText Africa, um, which was titled, Dear South Africa, it is no longer okay not to understand how the internet works. And basically it just detailed why everyone needs to know about information security. And why it's important and a lot of the excuse that people um often use is but why but why am i a target why would someone want to hack me but then this person made the argument that it's not specifically you that they're after but just the fact that your information is vulnerable is valuable to someone else i
1: mean if, if you steal someone's identity then you can ruin their life. It's easy for you to make use of that that identity that you've now managed to grab. And it's very easy for us to lose that identity because we put too much online.
2: And I think I think um, if people uh, lose access to things like their pictures and their personal things, like their email, that kind of thing, through ransomware and that kind of thing, they could probably have prevented that by understanding uh, what kind of behaviors they should eliminate from, you know, um, what kind of ways they should, um, what
0: should, what they should be doing on the internet without... Uh, exposing themselves to that kind of risk. Yeah, I must say this flood of ransomware lately has been scared, because that, from the little that I observe, at least from the outside, like that seems to be on the uptick, like the, like it's nobody's business.
2: Yeah, that's quite a problem. And I think people are making a lot of money by uh, uh, the people that are running the ransomware campaigns are making quite a, a fair amount of money out of it.
1: And, it, and it's also a way for them to take out large portions of what it, what it is we rely on. I mean. Uh, You were talking about malware. I was talking about um, IoT devices, uh, Internet of Things devices, um, where the Mariah botnet made use of these information, these devices, the the cameras or the toasters or whatever they might be that for some reason need to have an IP address, um, made use of those to take out DNS services in the eastern United States, meaning that you can't connect to any websites that you're trying to get access to. It was... Pretty horrific and done with very little, very little complications from the side of the guys who were doing the attack.
0: Now, I read an article a while ago. Um, it was along the same same lines of the, this device attacks. Where some vigilante uh, hacker who went around basically it um, finds any like routers, printers, whatever, anything with a default username password that it could get into, and then. Changed it and st- I don't know how specifically, but he then left the message basically to the owners to go like, look, I changed your password because, and then it was, I think it was a worm that kind of like went around replicating itself <laughs> as a way to try and apply the same skills in a slightly different way to to secure things a bit. I mean, it's as good as it is in theory, the guy's also still like breaking the law and being invasive and, and chased you know, changing people's property without their consent. The right.
1: he's more likely to be caught because his intentions are good than the guys whose intentions are not good.
0: It's oh, that's, that's actually very sad to bring it up and put it that way. I want to take a moment to tell you about OfferZen. OfferZen connects you with more than 350 South African companies that are hiring developers. Instead of dealing with recruiters or applying to dozens of jobs individually, on OfferZen, companies apply to you. To get started, just sign up on OfferZen.com and build a profile. Once you're ready, your profile is made visible to the companies hiring on in. Companies interested in you will send you an interview request with details about the job, including upfront salary info. So if you're looking for work or want to hire developers, check them out at officezen.com. That's O-F-F-E-R-Z-E-N.com. I wanted to ask, you mentioned, Anna, um, there's a big difference between writing secure systems and securing our systems. Would you mind maybe saying why and what the differences are.
1: I, I guess for me, um, as, as a developer, writing secure systems means that that it happens at the architecture phase. I, while i thinking about what it is that this thing is going to do, I'm also considering how it can be done in a way that makes the system more secure rather than securing it afterwards where you now have this wonderful product that does this cool thing and you're going to put it out in the market and you're like, oh, before we do that, we need to think about how we're going to make sure that they can't break it. Securing a system once it's already out in the wild is way harder than securing it if you do it by design rather than by committee, I guess, afterwards. We spend a lot of time securing things um, as information security professionals, but we could have spent less time more effectively designing it to be secure in the first place.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So instead of database access over a (laughs) socket, over some open network somewhere, like actually just make sure applications can chat to each other in a different way secured uh, like examples like that yeah exactly that's exactly right and uh, i guess as as professional securing stuff after the fact are there any do you have like any practical tips um, or at least like the most common things you mistakes you see people make or things that they're not aware of that they never even thought could possibly happen to them
2: i mean like you know basically just picking passwords is a is a simple one if that's the kind of thing we're talking about but um i am I'm, I'm pretty sure that most people i know that i spoke to someone recently um, we're trying to build a product that's uh, fairly secure in theory but he was quite willing to give out his um his passwords to just about anybody that would, would hear what he was talking about and i think just sort of educating people about that kind of thing is um you know like i said before changing
0: their behaviors is um surprisingly difficult
2: yeah does that answer your question
0: I um, in a way, I was thinking something more practical. Like if somebody is, well, God forbid, saving plain text passwords, Um, you know, like the importance of hashing and, and choosing the right algorithms that are slow to brute force, stuff like the OWASP top 10 attacks. I don't, you see, I, I guess in, in a lot of ways um, over the years, I've gotten used to also doing some of these things. A lot of them, like I've also had some weird stuff, happened to to web apps I deployed I admit um, forget to put it forget to put authentication on one or two rails controllers and then like some bot finds it and starts posting spam but uh but I mean I kind of grew up with it, the OWASP oh, top 20 oh, top 10 stuff SQL injection um cross-site scripting uh, cross-site request forgery protection there's like a bunch of web stuff. I think it's handled by frameworks um, these days heavily. Like if, if Rails, you don't need to think about it. I assume in Django, you don't need to think about it. Uh, I don't know what the state of the world is in, in PHP or, or any of the other uh, big things. In the closure world, I mean, now it's like out the box as well. Everybody's just like, this is how you do your CSRF and XSS and, and all that stuff. But put it another way, like it's not everybody uh, had the same experience as I have I've had and, and and learned the same stuff I learned. So, I mean, I'm sure I'll learn a lot of you guys, like sit down with my stuff as well, but I'm just thinking like, what's that kind of stuff? There's the junior in the team, um, you know, everything is still great. And and they like, somebody throws a big piece of work at this person and they deliver and they're happy. But there's a lot of stuff that they just, they don't know yet that they've got to learn. Let, let me give you, let me give you a, a physical security example. I was actually chatting a, about this on,
1: on Twitter with, uh, with a couple of friends of mine. It's, it's usability over security, right? And, and whenever usability is in the equation, as uh, software developers, you know, we, we know that, that that's usability is generally going to win out. If, a, if it's a security or a usability argument, uh, security loses every single time. The physical security uh, hack that I want to talk about is um, was actually filmed. D.V. Dolan, who's a well-known physical pen tester, walks up to the doors of a bank it's glass doors that are automated. You know, so you swipe your, your, uh, your bank card through the machine, you know, the card reader on the side. It recognizes that it as a valid bank card. It lets you into the, the area where the ATM is. We have all seen something similar to that most at one stage, it was the norm the, the for most banks in South Africa. It is, this, it is the status quo in the US. Worse than that, there are the same sort of door systems, but with a PIN code or access code would allow you access to the bank proper, like writing into the bank system. From an ease-of-use perspective, from a usability perspective, when you're leaving that room, they don't worry about having you swipe or type in a PIN code again because you're already in the secured space. So exiting from a secured space is done by simply walking up to the door. There's a sensor there that picks up there's a difference in temperature and there's some movement, and it opens the lock and allows you to walk straight up. So d walks up to a door, a bank door, He's on the outside. He doesn't have a card for this bag. He takes a swig of whiskey and he blows it through that tiny little gap between the door. And obviously the whiskey cools down rapidly when it hits the air. It's warmed up in his mouth, cools down very rapidly as it hits the air. There's a change in temperature. It mists slightly and it causes movement across the sensor. The sensor unlocks the door and allows him to walk into the bank. <coughs> it's late at night and he just walks into a bank. So we have those kind of things happen in the physical world. And I'm sure there are many, many uh, trailers that we've had to make between usability and security in applications we've built. We recently did a, an ASVS assessment, so the OWASP Application Verification Standard Assessment for a company who had a really well-thought-out application. All the flaws that we could find had to do with the ability of users to upload and manipulate files on the system. And unfortunately, that makes it a little bit too easy. There were a couple of flaws that we could find in the system as a result of that because usability, making it easier for users, meant that it was less secure. And yes, it was a
0: decent quality bourbon that he was using. So whiskey was destroyed in that experiment. I'd love to get a link to that, that video or something about it for the show notes. That'd be awesome. I'll make sure that I add that to the show It's some way.
2: I think some other um, uh, other sort of horror stories, as, as uh, Grant is talking about, is um, people storing credentials, like, like you were talking about Ruby earlier, um, those secrets, um, they would store credentials and that kind of thing in GitHub. And, um, quite a bit of fun, I think uh, Ross, who's uh from Xerox coffee as well, he was talking about uh searching for password and GitHub or secret and GitHub and finding credentials just uh, you know loads and those of credentials for public websites that um uh you you can just search for them you know without a problem. So stuff like not storing credentials in, in GitHub GitHub repos is quite a quite an important one. Interestingly, that's part of what my roster thesis is like. Ah, okay. <laughs> I think also um, you know, while all the frameworks handle um sort of um input validation, that kind of thing, not everybody uses that. I mean, um again in Ruby you don't have to you don't have to actually use the input validation part of the framework, you know. Um and it'll kind of keep you safe for a while, but you know there are there are ways of kind of
0: uh, if you're not validating input properly, you'll probably get into something at the uh, in the end. Yeah, it's trivial to I guess it's again it's a usability thing. It's trivial to circumvent it if it's a pain for the developer. You Just go like disable check on this field, like I don't care anymore. Yeah, or use that raw um, tag or or something similar to that. And You asked about the status of PHP.
1: I'm pretty sure that PHP is pretty screwed completely.
0: So. Well, when I last used PHP, which is oh, more than a decade ago, I remember like there was, this, there was this point where they switched off the magic variables by default because of the way people use it to act the systems. And that quite caused quite a, a lot of pain for a long time. But I mean, I can't imagine, like that's one thing, but I'm sure the Laravel guys and, and the frameworks have the same thing as, as Rails and Django. But again, like, I, I love that like the usability will win. If, if it's going to be a pain for people, they're just going to switch it off and, and, and stop using it. It's actually an important
1: aspect of it, right? Because we're, we're talking about technical solutions to some security problems. But no matter how secure we make things technically, if users don't like the way they work, the users will circumvent them. And then you know you end up with passwords stuck on the bottom of the keyboards or silly things like that.
2: I've had to store my uh, my kids' Minecraft passwords on, their, um, on sticky notes on their monitors because otherwise I have to deal with it.
0: <laughs> enough, yeah. um, so like i said don't reuse the passwords again because <laughs> now it's right there while we're in this dance of passwords keeps popping up um t- t- any um opinions on two-factor auth and and whether people should build it into their systems or whether users should always use it when it's available was it overrated and misunderstood maybe um I've got some fairly strong opinions about things like um
2: OTPs and that kind of thing. Um you know, I, I did actually work for um um uh, for Intersect, which produces two factor authentication kind of systems. But uh I think if you're talking about two factor auth where you type in an OTP or, or like something is generated on the Google authenticator, I think um that's not very useful, because um, if, you're, if the channel that um, you're entering information into is kind of compromised in some way, um, then if you enter the two-factor auth into that same channel, it's it's not really a, uh, that much of a benefit. But if you're talking about stuff like uh, YubiKeys, um, those um, U2F YubiKeys and uh, that kind of thing, I think it's a
0: lot. It is definitely worth it
1: was going to say, I I know that both Mike and I have at least two
0: unique keys on our keyring any given day. you I don't. <laughs> so, okay, I'm curious. I I just want to pick at that a little bit uh, for my own benefit. Um, so I've heard a lot of people go against SMS uh, to FAS because apparently it's easier than we think to steal somebody's SIM card, um, or get it transferred out the way, and boom, you could you get banks two factor and 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 somebody's in. I thought with the authenticator, um, it's at least a bit harder. But I never thought about going through a man in the middle because that acts, like voids it. Uh, it. See, I guess in my head, it should have been SSL to begin with, or TLS, all the way through. And I wouldn't I, I wouldn't have checked. I would have just entered the Google code. So yeah, that's thanks. That's some food for thought. But um, how do these physical dongle um, actually work? Because I know YubiKey by name. And I, I think I added in the first time when you could use them with GitHub like ages ago. I don't know if it's still the case if you can, but I've got no idea how these devices look, how they work, how, how you write software to, to use them, none of that. Um so
2: uh the older Ubi keys are um pretty much the same as uh, Google Authenticator. They they would generate um a, a one-time password and um they share a secret with the with the server. So that um It'd be similar to Google Authenticator, but um, when you push the button, it would actually type or pretend to be a keyboard and type that password into um, into your OTP field. Um, the newer ones use a standard called U2F, which actually communicates directly with the browser and establishes kind of more like a, a secure channel between um, the key itself, the little YubiKey, and uh, the back end of the server. So i suppose it's similar to ssl it's like a separate independent ssl channel directly between the key the browser and the back end so it can't actually be intercepted in theory
1: because i'm sure we all understand that tls
2: is a
0: requirement but it is not safe
1: right tls is still can still be man in the
0: middle ouch is that the like is it preventable though i mean is it something we can pin down and get a Uh, A plus on SSL labs and we're good, or is there more to it than that?
1: Uh, Slightly more to it than that because um, you can, uh, a lot of of these hacks nowadays uh, involve using, um, setting up domains that have names similar to indistinguishable from your target domain, and then uh, ensuring that you actually do get a valid SSL certificate for that domain and then setting up that as a link in a, in a phishing email or however else you're going to try and target an individual. They then connect to this domain that looks the same. Uh, the name appears to be the same name. It's a valid SSL certificate. They type in your credentials there. You then pass those credentials onto the actual site and have them log in. Told them they typed in the password wrong, forward them back to the, the actual site and then deal with, you have their credentials.
0: Yo ouch.
1: Uses the weakest key, weakest link.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, definitely so social social engineering. Now it's scary this um, allowing the, the, the broader Unicode set into the domains, how people are using these glyphs to create fake fake domains that you can't distinguish from the real ones. Exactly. That's hectic. can show out I uh, tweeted out something from the podcast account a, a few days ago as well. The um some Front-end development tool. I can't remember now. And I don't want to blame the wrong one while we record. Uh, basically, to give you HTTP/2 while you develop, they basically installed like also like a, a catch-all cert on your machine, just so you can then do HTTPs to localhost, so you can get H2 while you dev. But then the side effect, of course, is now that cert can be chained, um, and and the guy showed how it can be exploited on public Wi-Fi. And I think developers love working at coffee shops on probably a lot on unsecured networks and now people just wanted to build their JavaScript <laughs> have this new cert on their machine that can be used to to intercept them. It's it's ridiculous. So wasn't
1: there a, a hardware provider that was shipping uh shirts as well as part of their default installation? Lenovo, I think. Yeah I didn't want to mention
0: any names but yeah. Yeah I think it was <laughs> no man like, that's that was ridiculous. Now that's so much press we we're not it's not like we're spilling the beans on anything. Um, but they're not the only ones I've, I've, um, I can't remember who else, but it's definitely like, that's, that's scary. So how do you stay sane in this world? I mean, like, look how quickly we went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> how do you stay sane while being plugged in and, and not starting to put tinfoil on your head? I mean, and I don't mean that like in a derogatory way, just like it's cause I guess the real way to be secure is to do level zero filtering. Um, and that's not practical in this day and age. No,
1: it's, it's not. And I, and I guess it's, it's a matter of, a, it's, it's a question of being aware of what, what possibilities are out there and then making a choice to take a risk to do certain things in, in the way that we do things. Uh, both Mike and I don't hide our identities the way that some of our other colleagues do. Um, although we are a little bit more cautious than the average person about personal details, but you know, you can go completely nuts. You can, you can pull up into a little ball and want to wrap yourself in tinfoil blankets so that you are safe. But the reality is the world is connected, and you have to be as well. But being aware of what possibilities there are, for example, I will not be taking my development machine with VPN access into my company's environment with me to DevCon. Uh, that would be a very silly thing to do.
2: Mike, however, is quite happy to do that. Right. I- I'm better at this than you. <laughs> yeah
1: I, I don't recall getting stickers on my laptop I,
2: I also um, I just um, I think that Grant's right, you just need to be aware of what's possible um, and then just be aware of your environment and what's going on around you and I think that's almost good enough and to say sane, I think uh, uh, some people drink and <laughs> But I think mostly Cheers. um yeah, there you go. Um I think mostly we talk to each other and, and kind of like uh examine what the what the status quo is and, and how um you know what kind of things are going on around us. And so we're aware of what things we're thinking that are, are just kind of you know totally tinfoil and, and what things are actually legit. And there are quite a few people that will um quite quickly shoot you down if you're doing something that's that's kind of over the top and ridiculous. So I think
0: uh, talking to the community actually helps a lot to even things out. No, that's cool. It just dawned on me kind of, I guess, growing up, we kind of get this educated financially. You know, you kind of become aware of Ponzi schemes and not to fall for them and and a bunch of other stuff. Um, I guess the same should go for Infosec. Hopefully, in time, it becomes part of our our way of thinking and our awareness, at least. Um, Hopefully, before too many people get scammed badly
2: yeah i think um i think the problem with the other problem with the whole thing is uh you know at, at, at places like defcon they have social engineering uh villages and talks and that kind of thing and it it relies 100 percent on human nature and even even the best of us will get scammed in some way by somebody um who's unable to understand human nature better than us so i think uh in some ways, you can't protect things from from a lot of things,
0: you know, from, from people that are really good at this. Yeah, I think social engineering is, I guess, probably the most effective way if you want to get in anywhere. It just starts with people, there. and they're much weaker than <laughs> than systems.
1: Yeah, they, they definitely are, and, and far more predictably weaker. It's why the, the social engineering attack works. and It's why these people inherently want to be helpful, they want to be nice people, they want to... They don't want to treat everybody like they're enemies and like they're dangerous. And the reality is we can't. We have to live in a world where, where we can still live our lives. So
0: you take the risks, but be aware of the risks you're taking. I think I want to pull us back to something a bit more lighter so we don't leave people in a <laughs> very deep and dark place. The, the, uh, the we, we mentioned earlier about the badges getting sold um, to help raise funds. Now, Chantal shared this, this great link where there's some screenshots of it, uh, or pictures of it, and and what, I don't want to spoil too much, but I definitely want to hear about these things. They look great. It looks like a little game console almost. But I want to start off with asking, the, the image says, uh, and people have to look at the show notes um, to, to see it makes sense, but it says rock, paper, scissors, Spock, lizard. And I think I remember it differently. It's <laughs> rock paper scissors lizard Spock. <laughs> so, so um, am I going crazy? Like, is my inner Sheldon losing it, or is that uh, on purpose? Well, it's entirely possible we got it wrong, but um, uh, I, I think
2: there was a lot of um, a lot of it was done in a in a great rush, and so it's it's possible we got it wrong. Um... <laughs> to, to be clear, uh, the
1: badge that you guys are discussing is actually last year's B sides badge.
2: Ah, okay.
1: Interestingly, it was Mike's. The primary purpose of that badge was, or well, the primary activity that badge participated in was a lot about uh, sharing a little too much information about yourself, wasn't it, Mike? But the idea is that the badge tracked your interactions with everybody
2: else. Only a
1: little creepy. <laughs>
2: So, I mean, so, I mean the, uh, the badge, basically, you could play a game. Uh, you could play a couple of games, but uh, the primary game was to see, see how many other people you could uh, interact with. Um, and it kind of, um, on the front of the badge is uh, a of well, an infrared transmitter and an infrared receiver. So if the badge is on the front of your shirt and um, you're know, standing in front, in front of somebody else, um, the game was more or less that... Uh, you would have the badges have a little fight so and the goal being that each badge would try and convert the other badge to um to its team so we had three teams um you know red green and blue so then once uh, what we found there was once enough badges had been converted to one team then everybody kind of went that, that to that team's color so we had all sorts of um ways of getting around that um but in the end, all of that information was uh, all those games were run on a server. So all the data was sent back to the server by a little Wi-Fi uh, chip on the back. And we could then play the games and, and kind of see which badges were around which badges. So we, as, as Grant said, we could actually track pretty much everybody, although we didn't know whose badges was whose. Uh, we could track who was wandering
0: around the conference and doing what. I was just going to ask, but I mean, surely you can just, as these badges start coming online, you can tie that up with more or less registration times and get a fairly good idea. Well,
1: plus the badges had you actually register your name against them when you created them, when you set them up, because you could win prizes, right? It was a competition after all. Mm Did somebody walk away with a, a new iPhone.
2: Yeah, so we we didn't uh, we purposely didn't actually register them um, like directly. So we got them to enter the information themselves, which is kind of an analogy for um, for other services that most people use on the internet. But uh, they are they do have other games on them as well.
0: Oh, yeah, but you're kind of right. So it's voluntary disclosure of information. When the, you want an iPhone, you need to give your name in and therefore be tracked all day. That's interesting. The irony is.
1: People who registered the badge
0: didn't even realize that an iPhone was up for grabs at that point in the
1: game. Aha. OK. They still notice all the details, though.
0: <laughs> no, that's, yeah, yeah. No, um, I could clearly see what the same thing happening to me. Um, and this year's badges, um, what, what do you guys have in, in store for that? Because, I mean, well, from what I saw on Twitter, they were insanely popular as, as they went out in their badges.
2: So, so, this year um, is the first year of the, the five year plan that, that Grant mentioned. Um, so i'm not going to give too much away if you don't mind um
0: no no no. just enough to tease people
2: (laughs) so the the theme of the um of the conference is back to the future so the badges will be um uh, you know we'll we'll go along with that theme um i think they're pretty cool and we've got uh, uh one part that is just for this year and one part that one part that is for um it's reusable so next year's badge we'll be able to plug into that um and then the idea is that every year we we add a little piece to the um to the the transformer or the whatever you want to call it the, i'm getting a little bit distracted here yeah,
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah so, so basically we'll make little transformers and we'll have a badge that's made up of uh five different pieces or thereabouts um yeah
0: Wow, you—you've uh, <clears throat> created a black market. Uh, that's my prediction for badge parts.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, that is—that is something that we'd—we'd we'd like to see as um, people coming back with the with the parts, but um, you know, from with the previous year's parts. And it'll be interesting to see how many people do that and how many we have to sell. Like, what happens in year five when um, you know we can do something interesting with all five parts? And people don't have the first year's parts because they weren't there, and that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens.
3: I was going to ask about the reusability of the badges because I still have mine from last year, but I think the battery has run down. So I was wondering if you guys were going to have something for if someone brings back a badge and um, like maybe they can swap it for something else or something like that. But it sounds really cool. The five-year plan, I think. That means I will definitely be coming for the next five years if I'm in Cape Town at the time.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Out your badge can actually recharge, as long as you didn't uh, let
2: all the magic smoke out already.
3: Uh, I think I did.
2: Well, um, that was my... Uh, I've just got to admit that that was my first um, large-scale uh, electronic project, if you like. Like, I've done a lot of uh, smaller electronic projects and that kind of thing. And I made a mistake, a small mistake somewhere and um the badges can get into a situation where you can't get them going again so that's probably where your badge is and there is a way to get them going but you'd have to bring so i mean if people bring the badges to me uh next year i can i can get them going again
1: Alternatively, show up at oaks coffee uh buy mike a beer and hand him a soldering iron and he'll fix it for you or shifty michael or any one of the other guys who are involved in the physical badge
2: i like the beer idea that's yeah i'll, I'll go for that <laughs> You mentioned Shifty, Mike. Uh, he, Him and I uh, resoldered 300 badges. We only made 130, but we uh, we had some problems and we had to keep on resoldering them uh, throughout the conference. So he definitely deserves a, a mention. And there are quite a few other people that helped us as well. But uh, Andrew Mack, who's not here at the moment, um, he actually did most of the software for the badge. I just did the hardware.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Then. And we had a... A show that just came out as we record this with Lance Gleason and, and he talked a lot about these. Um I believe it was the same chip, the ESP eight two six six said it's great for for building these kind of projects. So it's nice to to see the same things being used. Was it also a node MCU variant of it? Um so this is just the Arduino version of the um if that's what you mean. Yes, yeah. So okay, the C C version. like c Don't know what language. <laughs> yeah no it's um it it's it's
2: the reason we chose that is because it's quite easy for people to go ahead and um kind of change the code if they want to uh we did release the code on um on GitHub, and um on the back of the badge there was a program button and a reset button so if you wanted to make it do pretty much anything you could actually do that
0: oh wow that's that's pretty cool to know and and the the schematics of somebody who cares about that. Um,
2: they're also in that same project, um, and uh, I can give you the links if you
0: like. Oh, for the show definitely. I think people will love that. Cool. Speaking of shifting, Mike, um, he is also, because of his efforts uh, last
1: year, uh, the fact that he jumped in and got involved very heavily in helping to get the badge out the door,
3: uh,
1: got involved with almost every aspect of the conference that we, we needed him to be part of, and the fact that last year he was a student and. Um, he may have skipped one or two uh, classes to help make things work for the day. Anyway, Shifty is actually uh, this year's uh, winner of um, the Right of Passage. He's the he's the guy that we're taking with us to to Vegas this year. Hopefully, he'll come back in one piece, and we'll know that it's safe to send other people as well.
0: <laughs> That's great. I'm glad you brought that up. It's something I wanted to ask earlier when we talked about the Right of Passage, as he said. Part of it, it's not just the the trip to to the States, but it's also being involved in the B-Sides community for a year, if I remember right. What does that look like? What what more do they do? Well, so the the idea is that that B-Sides has been handed
1: over from one person to the next in Cape Town, Um, and it's it's either been here, you now have control of the domain, and uh, good luck. I, I hope you came to a beef previously and you know what it kind of looks like. Or it's been a pretty arduous you know, process. This is exactly what we do. This is how I do it. This is how this works. This is why we do this. These are the sponsors we talk to. But the whole process starts off pretty early in the year. Uh, I mean, Mike started working on this year's badge last year. I think the finalized designs were done in
2: March, February, something like that. Yeah, around about March, yeah.
1: And there's a there's a lot of work that happens before we even get to anywhere near December, which is when when the conference is actually running. And the idea is that we're going to get this these individuals who are wanting to be involved in B sides they get involved from a very early stage of the year. So uh, we've had a couple of volunteers uh, who are students who want to step forward and they want to be involved in this. They they put throwing their hat in the ring, both from a possibility of winning the the, the rite of passage, but also because. They want to see how the conference works. They want to see behind the scenes. The individual who is going to be chosen will be chosen at B-Sides this year. And from December this year through until July, August, whenever DEFCON is, I think it's early August again next year, uh, they will be assisting with each of the departments that's involved in making the conference run. And they'll be learning how those departments work. So they're basically going to intern for B-Sides for the duration of a year.
3: And I suppose bring back um, some secret knowledge from the from the international conferences f- for us to use here.
1: Exactly, yeah. So one of the things we have arranged then them is that they definitely will be helping out with uh, b sides Las Vegas. So, so they'll also be volunteering at b sides Las Vegas. And they'll get to see how that conference works as well. And uh, b sides Las Vegas, I think, has 180 uh, staff members this year. To give you an idea of the scale difference between them and Cape Town, they have nearly as many staff members as we expect to have attendees. So there'll be lots of cool
0: things that the the of Passage will be able to bring back to Cape Town. Yeah, wow, that's huge. That's definitely great. I mean, it, it's so much um, to be learned and, and then to be shared again. It's absolutely fantastic that you it's not just the a a, a prize (laughs) you know like a a front page headline and a facebook picture it's like it's actually worth something way more than that
1: yeah and and, uh, anybody who's ever been to defcon will tell you that the the cost of getting there which is a, a very expensive very long airplane flight and the cost of actually attending the conference all of that doesn't even come close to weighing up against how awesome the experience is being with those people who are doing really cool things. Um, Mike's going to get to, to play with a bunch of badge makers at DEF CON that will completely change. Despite the fact that we have a five-year plan, I'm pretty sure they're going to change the things that are going to happen on next year's badge. Uh, a lot of his ideas probably come from from that environment, that sort of, those sort of rubbing shoulders with those sort of people.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, last year I actually went there with the idea of um, coming back with ideas and badges and that kind of thing. And um, I actually have a pile badges that I brought by from DEF CON. Um, They've got, I think this year they've got something like um, it's around about 20 different unofficial badges or different wacky ideas. There's also a hat that's covered in LEDs that um, uh, shows um, Mario, Super Mario running around and around that kind of thing. So all sorts of wacky stuff.
0: I need me the hat. Must if I go to, to DEF CON, that never lines up I would go with a pen and paper and, like, a Rolodex with phone numbers, not even a phone. I <laughs> I saw a video of a guy there rigging up a fake cell phone tower explaining how it works and these little radios and stuff, and I was just absolutely fascinated by how uh, scary it is that he just takes over the whole room's phones, um, and you just go, like, he's just one of very many talented people in that space. Like, it must be crazy. I don't even know if your chip and pin cards are safe. Uh, Don't put them in any ATMs you find standing around
2: randomly. Especially not the ones running Doom.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've seen some other jokes online as well. People go, like, the ATMs get hacked and everything gets hacked hotel, entertainment systems. And it's amazing that they keep pulling it off year after year. And I'm sure everybody rises to the occasion to to prevent what happened last year and everybody comes better prepared.
1: Yeah, I think my favorite is still the low tech hack stuff where, you know, Every single camera, and there are lots of cameras in Vegas. Every single camera ended up with a sticker placed on or near it that says, This is not a camera. I about how you place those stickers without being caught on camera.
0: I have no idea. <laughs> These, the, the, the smart people. <laughs> <laughs> now, part of the badges make me think of um, that. Is it Sammy Kamkar? Um, the guy who made the MySpace worm? Um, I love Sammy, yeah. He had a, somehow I heard he had a, a uh, like Arduino or, or something also like a a, um, a pendant that he carried around that was actually busy war-driving Wi-Fi spots as he missioned around just going from day to day. So like these little things you might think is one thing, but you never know what's packed in those devices. That's very true. The one last thing I want to bring up is just for people that want to go to B-sites now that that hopefully a few more years. Ticket sales are open. Tickets are really affordable. Um, uh, how do you like Pull that off, even, um, and they, they open on sale. I guess until they sell out or until November, so there's there's a bunch of time to still get involved. Yeah,
1: so um, tickets will go on will we'll remain up on sale until either we run out of space or um, or November. November is because we still need to prep t-shirts, you know, sizes uh, you know, you in in time. Um, it's that affordable because b size really does run off. The, the really good and useful people that get involved and help make it happen and the fact that we've got sponsors that help us to pay for things like you know, the space or to pay for things like coffee that we serve on the day. So we've got some really great sponsors that get involved, community-driven sponsors and, um, and guys like Mike and I who, who don't take a salary for being involved in it. We, we do give up our time to make it happen. There will be more besides badges being released. In fact, if, we, if you time it, ping me when you actually release the podcast, I'll make sure that we release a batch of badges at the same time. That might be a kind of a cool thing to do. Hmm. Um, so there are still badges available. We just haven't released the badges yet. And uh, there are plenty of tickets still available. We're only about, only about a quarter sold. Because this is Cape Town, and uh, everybody buys in November because that's the last time they can buy and still get a T-shirt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think the same thing happens. Yeah, people buy <laughs> tickets late, except Jason. You say that's kind of the, the the odd one out. One year it sold out like within uh, like a few hours. Um, then know why, and then since then it's always been this mad rush to get tickets on the day kind of thing. Uh, so like scale comp, right? You know, you, if your if you tickets are on sale, you book now, otherwise you're not going to get any. Yeah, I know. That's very, very true. Um, yeah, no, it's great. Like, I'll add links to everything. Um, people can go check it out. There's corporate tickets um, that I'm sure your boss will lie if you tell him that's how much they cost. But go check out the site. Is there anything else um, you guys want to cover or something really important to call to action for the listeners?
1: Yeah. No. Just get involved in information security if you're involved in it and uh you know that there is an information security policy going on please just put your hand up and so that you want to be involved you want to know more come to b-sides if you're doing something cool feel free to submit a paper call for papers is still open uh decisions on, on the talks have not yet been finalized so and feel free to do that too
2: yeah, and if, you, if anybody wants uh, to be involved with the badges, just um, give me a
0: shout. And um, we always need people, ideas, and uh, expertise. Cool. I'll add Twitter handles and the like in the show notes so people can reach out easily from there. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. This this, this has been great. I'm really excited. I'm now trying to think, how do I do this? <laughs> no, it, it sounds great. This is definitely a world that... I, this is the world that got me into computers, but I kind of drifted away from it um, over the years. I was chatting to somebody at the developer UG meetup up here at Microsoft a few weeks ago. It's like hackers. That movie was like, that came out, watched it, got a computer. Uh, Well, actually I had the computer, but then realized what I wanted to do with it. So um, yeah, it's just great. And, And not having to travel to Las Vegas to see some of this stuff is, it's really exciting to me. So Thanks for what you guys are doing for the awareness. This rite of passage program is fantastic. Yeah, congrats on that. And I hope it exceeds everybody's um, expectations. And and for the winner also, like, (laughs) that's that's quite a prize. Yeah, that's that's kind of the end of my loop. Cool, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Cool, thanks. And I guess with that, yeah, we could say goodbye. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Show notes for this episode can be found on ZADefChat.io. As always... Ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback on this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at ZADevChat or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to the ZADevChat podcast and we'll see you next time.